The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. This non-commercial program is for educational purposes only. You're listening to Aap sun rahe hain suno tha Ningle ka ekna da Kyun khelta idira Radio 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 Azim Premji University If you're a sports lover and someone asked you who Sanya Mirza, PT Usha, Deepika Kumari, Bachendri Pal and Mary Kom were, you probably wouldn't bother to google. But if someone asked you who Archana Venkataraman, Rita Gombu, Vandana Rao, Chakravolo Swaru and Sarita Devi were, your answer most likely would be who? Such is the nature of sports. Some become stars. while the others are eclipsed by stars this is almost perfect a podcast series from radio azim premji university where we bring you the incredible stories of indian women athletes who competed at the highest level and made a name for themselves but who rarely find a mention in the hall of fame of indian sports Episode 1 200 meters from glory On 23rd of May 1984 29-year-old Bachendri Pal became the first Indian woman to climb Mount Everest When the news of her conquest arrived the entire nation erupted in celebration Bachendri Pal became a household name overnight but the names of her five teammates were lost in the din of celebration like bachendri they were brilliant climbers some were even more experienced and accomplished than her but fate had other plans for them and none of them could make it to the top of the five the one who came closest to the summit was 27 year old rita gombo The wind howled mercilessly around Rita. Her breath ragged as she fought against the biting cold. At 27 years old, Rita had trained for years to stand here, just 200 meters from the summit. For her, the stakes were even higher. She was the grandniece of the legendary Tenzing Norgay and the daughter of Nawang Gombu, the first man to conquer Everest twice. But the weather, fickle even on the best of days, had quickly taken a sinister turn. A worried Rita glanced back at Ang Dorji, her climbing companion, with the reputation of being one of the best Sherpa sardars. I said, "How far is the summit?" He said, "It'll take you seven hours, but you're not going to come back alive." You know, he started shouting, and uh, he was uh, actually rich to me from my mother's side. So I mean. I give him that much of respect because he's, I know he's a good climber, and plus he had climbed before with a wonder, so he knew. Rita gazed at the final stretch separating her from the summit. She didn't come this far only to come this far, but Ang Dorji's words rang in her ears. For a moment, time hung in the balance. 
then with a heavy heart, Rita nodded to Dorji. Sometimes, survival is the ultimate victory. Rita began her descent with Ang Dorji down the treacherous slope. Each step, a painful reminder of the summit she had come so close to. Rita spent the first 12 years of her life in her grand-uncle, Tenzing Norgay's house in Darjeeling. Uh, well, he, he was a busy man and um, uh, he, was, he was a very strict father also. He looked after me because uh, my mother passed away at childbirth. I, I spent more time with his wife who was like a mother to all of us. His uh, wife was the one who I used to call her mummy and I used to address him as my father, daddy. The Norgay household was always bustling with activities, including frequent visits by famous film stars and Sherpas from all over Darjeeling. It didn't take long for young Rita to realize that her granduncle was a famous figure, but it took a little while to fully understand why. Growing up, Rita was actively into sports. But she didn't have any aspirations to become a mountaineer like her father or grand-uncle. They didn't push her to do it either. But hailing from India's first family of mountaineering, her connection with snow-capped peaks came naturally. By the time she graduated from college, Rita had already finished her basic and advanced mountaineering courses. It was around this time that Indira Gandhi, the then Prime Minister of India, invited Indian women climbers to be a part of the Everest 1984 mission. Rita didn't need any convincing. When the circular came, my father told me about it and I said, I'll go. And I, it was just uh, very spontaneous. And I went, I went for the first pre-Everest to Kapurum in Sikkim. And it was a good expedition. And uh, in the mountains, like, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's like any other sport, you know. I mean, uh, for a 100-meter race, your timing is there. In the mountain, also, your speed and stamina count. So based on that, you know, they selected me for the next round and then for the final team. Rita was among the 20 women shortlisted, along with 40 men, to climb the 7,274-meter-high Mana Peak, along the Indo-Tibetan border. The group was made up of professional civilian mountaineers and seasoned Indian army climbers. It was here that she met Bachindri Pal for the first time. The competition was stiff at Mana. In Rita's words, they were not competing against the women, but against the men. Based on their performances, six girls from the Mana expedition was selected for the final Everest 84 mission. Of the six, three of them, Chandra Prabha Aitwal, Harshwanti Besht and Rekha Sharma had already scaled Nanda Devi, the second highest peak in India. While Sharavati Prabhu, Machindri Pal and Rita were novices, yet to climb a major peak. The Everest expedition was to be led by Colonel Balwan Singh Sandhu, who had also led the Mana expedition, with Lieutenant Colonel Prem Chand in the second lead. But there was a change in plan.
Colonel Sandhu was a very seasoned and good climber. He worked very hard, so he was very keen to lead the Everest expedition, and he worked hard on Mana too. But unfortunately, I think you know when the final uh, preparation was going on, uh, he is, his budget was uh, too high for the IMF. They decided to drop him, and they co- made uh, Colonel Khula the the leader. The change in leadership caused a bit of a stir in the team, but the girls remained unfazed, focused only on the summit in front. In the months leading up to the expedition, they camped and trained in Delhi and Gulmarg. Finally, after months and months of grueling training, they were ready to take on Everest. Rita recalls a funny incident at Rashtrapati Bhavan when the team had gone to meet Gyani Zail Singh, the then president of India, before the flag off. The president was particularly intrigued by Chandra Prabha Etwal, who, in her 40s, was the oldest member of the team and affectionately called Chandra Didi by her teammates. We went to Rashtrapati Bhavan <laughs> to meet Gyanis Dal Singh, who was the president of India. He looked at us and, uh, you know, he said nah, that we are, these women are going to climb Everest. And he looked at us and he said, Aap isko Aap upar kinda paisa khach kar So I think it was, the budget was 45 or 55 lakhs. He said, itna paisa, itna paisa The girls, along with seasoned army mountaineers and experienced Sherpas, began the trek towards the base camp from Jiri, the gateway to Everest in Nepal. The base camp was a 14-day walk from Jiri. On the way, the team acclimatized at Periche and Dingboche, two picturesque villages in the Khumbu region located over 14,000 feet above sea level. It was the beginning of a disastrous turn of events. Ang Ringzin, one of the Sherpas, was killed by an ice avalanche that swept down and buried him under four feet of debris. A few days later, Jang Beer, one of the kitchen assistants, died of hypothermia in his sleep. The expedition had barely begun and two lives had already been lost. A pall of gloom descended on the team. But they knew they couldn't afford to dwell in mourning. After performing the funeral rites of the deceased, they pressed on with their mission and finally arrived at the base camp about 18,000 feet above sea level. This was to be their home for the next three months while they meticulously set up the rest of the camps. We were like teams of four, you know, at a time. And uh, we used to go on first ferry road till camp one and come back. Then uh, the other team, one day rest. And then after that, when you finished your first round of ferries, then we established the camp. <coughs> then from camp one, we start ferrying road to camp two. So the distance from base camp to camp one was well. For some of us, it took us three, four hours. Some people, it took them eight hours, you know, <laughs> depending on people's speed. Yeah, so it was like that. And then uh, camp one to camp two also is about six, six, four to six hours. Then two to three, the same system. Then once we established camp three and we came down, then finally the leader announces the uh, final summit teams. So I was on the first summit team. 
The final assault began with Rita on the first summit team and Chandra Prabha on the next. They were accompanied by Lieutenant Colonel Prem Chand, the deputy leader. Fueled by determination, the girls managed to climb up to Camp 2 on the first day itself. The following day, they moved from Camp 2 to Camp 3 and on the third day, they made it to Camp 4. But the climb was not without challenges. It was during this ascent that Rita, for the first time, experienced the treacherous effects of rarefied air near the yellow band, which is a limestone deposit cutting across the Everest peak like a wedding ring. Now, I had only been till Camp 3. I had not been beyond 24,000 in my life. Uh, whereas Chandadidi had climbed the uh, Kanjan jungle, so she had at least some experience. So my climbing leader was Premchand, and he told us to share one oxygen cylinder, the six kg cylinder. He said, half an hour, you use it, half an hour, she'll use it, and we will climb together. It's not practical because it's very annoying, you know. You walk half an hour, then you remove your, and give it to her. So after half an hour, I told him, I said, sir, you give it to Didi. I said, I don't want the oxygen. He said, okay. So he gave the cylinder to her, and the two of them started walking. The lack of oxygen in your body makes you more drowsy. So all I remember is, you know, the yellow band is just below the South Pole, you know, almost 25,000. When I reached that place, I fell asleep. Then these two Sherpas came along, and then I woke up, then I said, two minutes. At that time, I didn't know what was happening, I just felt sleepy. Then they kept waking me up. Then the older Sherpa said, oh, actually, you know, she's got uh, oxy problem. So he gave me that cylinder, and uh, I started... Uh, the minute I put the cylinder, I was wide awake. A rejuvenated Rita then joined Prem Chand and Chandra Prabha at South Gaul, which is the mountain pass between Everest and Lhotse, that serves as the base for the summit attempt. According to the plan, Rita was set to summit from South Gaul with Prem Chand the next day. Chandra Prabha, owing to her seniority, was to accompany them to summit camp and rest before her final ascent. The next morning, Rita caught up to Premchand near the summit camp, only to find him seated on the snow. It struck her as odd, since they should have been walking towards the summit, not sitting. Nevertheless, she settled beside Premchand without question. An hour later, Chandraprabha came up. She was being helped by a fellow climber, Pudorji. Premchand, who had been closely observing the girls, made up his mind. He took out the walkie-talkie and uh, he told Kular, he said, I have seen enough summits in my life. It's time to give the younger ones a chance. And out of the two women, he said, Rita's fitter, I am bringing Tanda down with me. On his own, he decided you know, to abandon his own climb also. And he changed the whole scenario. Tanda Didi was in tears. Because for her, Everest meant much more than me. She was a summit bagger. She was a, the most uh, experienced and uh, best mountaineer in India. But Chandi and me were just out of a basic and advanced course. And we were just, only because we were tough and, you know, otherwise we had no experience. She started crying. I didn't know what to do. I can't say, okay, Didi, I'll go, you say. I mean, uh, we've all come to climb the mountain. So I just hugged her and she started crying and she went down. She really felt it. Early 70s, uh, Chandra Baba Aitwal started her climbing. And once she started, of course, uh, I mean, she was a sure summit on every team that she went on, you know. 
As Prem Chand and a dejected Chandraprabha returned to the base camp, it was up to Rita, Fudorji and Angdorji to script history. After spending a harrowing night sharing a tent, the day of reckoning arrived. Next morning I get up. Again, we have no communication. Huh? Next morning I get up and Fudorji is already gone. You know, he left. So the previous night in our tent, uh, Angdorji did not have a sleeping bag. So, you know, he just slept between the two sleeping bags, you know. So, when we were uh, climbing, first of all, the weather was terrible. Extremely strong wind, okay, and uh, at a distance I could see Futoji already, you know, trying to walk up. And uh, it was very windy and Angdoji, after walking for more than one and a half, almost two hours, I looked back and Angdoji was shouting. He said, my feet are getting cold and then uh, I'm not going anymore. So he took out his backpack and he took out the two cylinders, spare cylinders he was carrying for me. They were six kilos and he put it on the snow. Then I didn't know what to do. So then I moved back and I went and I asked him, I said, how far is the summit? He said, it'll take you seven hours, but you're not going to come back alive. You know, he started shouting. A frost-bitten Angdorji was not in a position to move forward. But Fuzorji continued his ascent, even without oxygen. At this point, Angdorji told Rita that even if they scaled the summit, they would die on the peak. More concerned about living to see another day than making history, Rita decided to abandon the mission and return to Southcall. After spending the night at Southcall, the team descended to Camp 3. And I reached Camp 3 and then I met my leader, Kuller. And when he saw me, he says, you don't know what you missed. No, and that was the last thing I wanted, you know. I mean, I got very irritated. So I said, even if you pay me, I'm not going again. I told him that. He was very upset about that remark. But in a way, he was relieved because I didn't get ambitious to go back again, you know. So, you know, he just knocked me off the list. Harish Kapadia, former editor of the Himalayan Journal, who closely followed the 1984 Everest expedition, had this to say about Rita's decision to return to safety. Weather ultimately rules, you know, like any other other sports also. So now there's rain in cricket, you have to stop playing cricket. Similarly, on mountains, there's a storm, there's a bad weather, and it suddenly turns very cold. But then it changes the entire terrain, complex of the game, and um, everything is different. And if you ignore it, then like Sangdorji, you will get either frostbite or you will be killed. This is a very, at a different sport, uh, you have to respect nature and your own capacities and uh, play accordingly. So, in fact, the wiser person is always uh, returns, like which what Rita did. Otherwise, pushing it, unmindful of weather and everything, would prove very disastrous. After Rita's failed attempt, a series of unfortunate events followed that threatened to derail the mission. Sharavati Prabhu couldn't go beyond Camp 2. Harshwanti Bisht, like Chandra Prabha, was overlooked by her team leader. And Rekha Sharma, despite making it to South Call, couldn't wake up on time for the final ascent. The weight of the mission's success now rested solely on the shoulders of Pachendri Pal. Yet, even in her case, Nature seemed intent on testing the team's resolve. 
Disaster struck when a serac broke off and ran over the camp, injuring several of the climbers. Fortunately, Bachendri Pal had a narrow escape. The incident dampened the morale of the group. Some of the Sherpas wanted to return, but the team was adamant. They were determined to ensure that at least one woman would conquer Everest. When Bachendri began the final push towards the summit on the morning of March 23, 1984, the sky was clear. It was as if nature itself conspired to grant her the perfect conditions for her historic ascent. At 1:07 p.m. that afternoon, one day before her 30th birthday, Bachendri Pal etched her name in history books by setting foot on the highest point of the world. Back at the base camp, the mood was jubilant but at the same time somber. The girls were happy for Bachendri's success, but heartbroken about their own failures. When the team leader saw their long faces, he gathered them for a huddle. So when he was sitting there, Kulas looked at Tanda Didi and said, "Tanda, you know, you know your story. Premchand refused to take you. Okay. Then Sharavati uh, Prabhu, he said, 'You have not gone beyond Camp Two. So listen, let's not talk about it.'" Then Rekha, of course, missed the opportunity because she reached South Pole, but she got up late, so she couldn't go. So that was a different story. And Harsha, Harsha was very upset. So Harsha said, "What about me?" So he said, "The the last summit team, he had asked the instructors to choose their own timer. So between the two of them, they decided to take Rekha. So Harsha was left out." For Rita. It was also a moment of introspection and reconciliation having come so close to the summit. She recalls a conversation with her uncle Latu, who was one of the climbers to assist Bachendri on her final ascent. When they came back to the base camp, then Latu in the evening, you know, after having some chang, he called me to the tent and he tells me, you know, Rita, from where you returned, it was good weather from them. It say it took them 2 hours to the summit. So that was the time when I just said, you know, it's all luck. See, it was my bad luck. The weather turned bad, so I missed the summit. Had the weather been good, I would have summited. But whatever is written in your, you know, whatever is meant for you, you can't change it, na. The 1984 Everest expedition was a special mission. Six brave Indian women were attempting something never done before. Naturally, there were concerns about their safety. After all, the conditions on Everest posed a threat to even the most skilled climbers. Mountaineer David Brishers perfectly captures the difficulty of high altitude climbing when he says, "Five miles above sea level, the air has so little oxygen that even with supplementary air tanks." it can feel like running on a treadmill and breathing through a straw the fact that six women went beyond base camp deserves all the praise especially when you consider the fact that they did this in 1984 when even the most experienced male climbers struggled to summit everest today things have changed it is said that one need not even be a climber to climb everest anymore You can simply buy a package for 25 to 30 lakhs and companies will handle the entire trip from flying you in by helicopter to setting up the routes. 
till January 2023. An astonishing 6,338 people have already summited Everest. In 2023 alone, around 600 people have summited, which is a record in itself. As such, Everest has now lost its glory in the mountaineering community, as Harish Kapadia puts it. Everest nowadays, frankly, with so much of support and so much of uh, things done and rope six, it is not considered any challenging. Or, or I mean, any means, I mean, it's not something as great as uh, one would think. There are many, many other peaks like Nanda Devi or Changabang or many expedition peaks will give you a huge thing. People who understand, who are real mountaineers know this, that this is when, you know, we unnecessarily hyped. But that's not to say it's easy to climb Everest. So far, 314 people have tragically lost their lives, trying to scale the peak. And some of them still remain on the icy slopes, serving as a somber reminder of the unforgiving nature of Everest. The conquest of Everest made Bachindri Pal a household name overnight. The preferential treatment followed soon after. When we reached uh, Kathmandu, Mr. Sarin was the Indian ambassador. He was president of IMF earlier. So, you know, Bachindri had to stay in Sarin's uh, in the embassy. We stayed in Yakinyati. Then every time Bachindri was called, you know, and the rest of us were gallivanting. And <laughs> the team didn't mind the spotlight on Bachindri. They knew she had earned it. But what made them furious was the way the media was being openly misogynistic. You see, the kind of question they ask, you know, they think that, oh, the men pull you up the mountain, you know, silly things like that, you know, it's very annoying, you know. But um, that's how it is perceived. Saying, you know, we don't get justice unless we show that it's a women's team. The idea that germinated out of frustration finally came to fruition when Rita and Bachendri met in Kathmandu, almost a decade after their Everest expedition. By now, Rita was married with two young kids while Bachendri was working for Tata and was in Kathmandu to book an Everest expedition for the company. Bachendri asked Rita if she was interested in joining the expedition. Rita responded by saying she would only join if it was an all-women's team but Chindri readily agreed. Around the same time, the IMF was also planning to send an all-women's expedition with a Japanese team, but could not find a slot. When they learned about Bachindri's plan, they offered her to lead the IMF expedition. She accepted the offer and made Rita her deputy leader. They selected 35 women for a pre-Everest expedition to Kamath in Uttarakhand. Out of these, 18 girls were shortlisted for the first-ever all-women's 1993 Everest expedition. But Chindri and Rita had dreamt of this moment for years. This was their opportunity to shatter the stereotype about women being too weak to climb Everest on their own. But, once again... Misogyny reared its ugly head, this time at a general body meeting at the IMF. In the IMF, in 93, when they announced the expedition, my God, the AGM, we are about barely 110 members in the IMF, okay? Male-dominated also, hardly 10 women. 
the people started shouting and screaming and saying these women are going to kill those girls on the mountain you know and bachanji was so upset she she was howling and she left the general body meeting i followed my father also followed then he told us he said you girls have to show them and i told bachanji just forget it you know we will show them that you know we know how to manage we know how to organize and manage then you know i got hold of 10 climbing sherpas from darjeeling and then we made a very good team then we also took three technical advisors we took three male instructors and uh, then the men started saying it's a women's team you're taking men we don't have women uh, sherpas you know now we have sherpa women climbing but those days there were no women sherpas or you know alternative porters or climbers so we had to take the men you know but this is the kind of you know nonsense turning a deaf ear to the naysayers rita and bachindri remained resolute in their mission to put an all women's team on everest their steely determination culminated in a historic achievement not only did they manage to put six girls atop everest they also set the world record for the largest number of persons from a single expedition to climb everest at 18 individuals Neither Rita nor Bachindri attempted the summit this time. Their focus was not on personal conquests, but on ensuring the mission's ultimate success, which was to prove that women were as capable as men in mountaineering, and they had accomplished that with resounding success. At 76 years old, Rita is now retired from Air India and the IMF where she served as vice president for 4 years. The spirited Sherpa in her remains as vibrant as ever. She continues to actively embark on treks, showcasing a tenacity that has also seen her triumph over cancer and COVID-19 in recent times. In 1984, the icy slopes of Everest witnessed a setback that might have deterred many. But Rita refused to let that moment define her. Instead, she took it as a call to rise higher, to push beyond boundaries and to shatter stereotypes. It's uh, been 39 years um, since uh, my first attempt on Everest when I missed the summit by almost 200 meters because of bad weather. and i missed the opportunity of becoming the first uh, indian woman to climb mount everest and uh, you know as i look back in life uh, my whole life has moved ahead i can just tell you one thing that you know in life you learn lessons if you focus on the hurt you will continue to suffer if you focus on the lesson you will continue to grow one should not have regrets whenever you have a failure in life you should get up and move ahead because there's plenty to do and there's always another reason to try and achieve your goal we hope you enjoyed this episode with rita gombumarwa for more inspiring stories on indian women athletes join us for the next episode of almost perfect
You're listening to. 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 You're listening